Actually, Taylor, just so you guys know, if you haven't heard this, is the, the top um, recruited, most desired resource for singing the national anthem at Dodger and Anaheim Angel Games. And so on the 4th of July, we got her at Crossroads. That's great, you know, because she's here. And of course, no one would ever want to sing for the Dodgers anyway. Right? So there's a lot going on. We're going to have a great day together. Um, it's great being here. And, and, and if you haven't been a part of the story and the journey we've been on, let me catch you up. A lot of you know me, as some of you don't know my wife and I, but uh, Chuck and my wife and I kind of had this dream a few months ago, and my wife and I are pursuing a call to go and take the values, the DNA of Crossroads to Orange County and, and launch a new church out there. And God has been just doing huge things and bringing partnerships and agencies and momentum and stuff behind us. And if you want to be a part of the story, if you have questions or comments or want to know more, we don't have time to talk about it today, um, but we do have a blog set up. It's tonywood.tv. Don't make fun of the name. It's the only thing we come up with, and you're welcome to check that out if you want to know the journey we're on. But we're excited to be here. We're still a part of the Crossroads family, and I think always will be because we just love you so much. Nothing's going to change. But also, if you've been a part of the Sermon on the Mount series the last few months here at Crossroads, you remember that Chuck has been taking us on this journey uh, through the most beautiful sermon, most powerful sermon, most life-changing moment <clears throat> when Jesus launched his ministry and talked to the people that would follow him. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's early in the morning. We'll, get, we'll catch up here. <clears throat> and, and so what happened was, remember the first few months, we talked about the fact that Jesus was reiterating how do we relate to people, murder and hatred and strife and reconciliation and love. And then the last few months, we've been talking about how do we relate to a loving God? And what did Jesus say about that as it relates to prayer and fasting? And then last week, Chuck, who I think is the best senior pastor in the best church in American history, <clears throat> preached what I think was one of the most amazing messages in American history. And I think most of us are all sitting there going, yeah. Now, let me just ask you, did you worry less this week? Did a lot of those things just keep coming back to you? My wife and I sat there after last week, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, that thing changed my life. And so now we're kind of picking up there, and we're moving forward. And we're going to catch up with where the Sermon on the Mount left off last week in Matthew 7. So go ahead and turn there in Matthew 7, and let's pray and just ask that God is a part of our morning together. Father, thank you so much just for a chance to celebrate freedom. 
And God, it's freedom that didn't just come, it did. A lot of it came from the deaths of humanity and people who cared enough to give us our soil and to give us the chance to be here in a church. But God, that freedom also came from the king of the universe who stepped into humanity and gave his life so that we could have breath itself and have hope itself. And Father, we thank you today and we love you today and we lift you up today as the source of all freedom. And I pray in the next few minutes, God, that we'll just be a family and that everyone here and I will forget about ourselves and forget about our own story and the stuff that we have in front of us. And they'll forget that it's me on stage and I'll forget that it's them and we'll just glorify you, the freedom giver, the life author, the passion revealer, the one that we came here to worship. Dad, may all this be for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So you got Matthew 7, right? All right, let's go. So I was trying to think kind of how to start today, and, and I, as I began to study for this portion of the message, and just so you know, Chuck is up preaching for a buddy in Vegas called, his name's Judd Wilhite, a lot of you remember him in Central, and he'll be back next, oh, he's got some Judd fans here. All right, let me talk like him, ready? I'll be a big smile. All right, bro. Was that good? Okay. So there's about two of you that thought that was good. I was trying to think where to go today as we kind of went on this journey, and I think I have something that could be enshrined in like the Jeffersonian or the Getty or something like that. This right here is a special, special, special artifact. Now, I don't know if you can get a close-up of that. Can you zoom in on that right there? We good? This right here, my friends, is the magical Christmas cookie. You're not getting as excited about this. As I did, some of you. Now, this is one of a kind. This does not exist anywhere in the world. And this was, uh, let's see, why did they make this so special? This was written by Susie Schmader. Still no excitement. <laughs> it was illustrated by Gail Pepin. Now, this is really special. You guys are going to love this. See, this magical Christmas cookie book. The reason that it's, it's, it's I mean, this is, I mean, I'm not joking. This was Waterhouse. Who's the publisher? Inside, this is what it says. It says, written and starring Brianne Moscato. Still nothing. See, I thought for sure when I came this morning that that would capture like this. Okay, let me just tell you who Brianne, Brianne Moscato is my wife. Like Bree Wood, that's who you know she is. Now, let's just, yeah, thank you, Shirley. Thank you. Now, I think about this for a second. This is said, written, for, written and starring Brianne Moscato with love from Mama Cole, her older sister. And if you go through this book, this is a once-in-a-lifetime artifact. It's been in our memory box for going on 20 years now. And this is a special, amazing story. And inside it even says, look at this. It says, Brianne Moscato and her favorite playmate. It's all about the Christmas cookie. Nicole, that's her sister. And it's personalized. It has her name in it. It says, Brianne, who was eight years old, had sent a letter to Santa Claus. And then it says to make sure he knew how to get to Glendora, California, even has where she lived in here. Now, has whoever ever done one of these on the internet before? <clears throat> now, no one in this room really cares about this story, but I want you to think about something. This has been in our memory box for 20 years. If I were to take this right now, does anyone have a pen on you? I, and, and I were just to scrawl out my wife's name and start putting maybe like my name in there, or Shirley, we could put you in there, um, and maybe some of you, Fred and Tom and all that. Now, what do you think would happen to my marriage? <laughs> Does everyone thought about that? Now, who's ever had a personalized book that was just their name and it was special for them? Anyone ever? Okay, two of us again. If you ever have one of these, you're going to realize 
that it means a lot. See, my son even deals with this at nighttime. I'll tell him the story, and I'll just, I'll share with him. I'll go, hey, buddy, I'm going to tell you a story before nighttime. We read our Bible, we pray, and then as we're sitting there for a while, we'll begin telling, and I'll tell him about the little troll named Captain Jeebs who lives in his pocket in his shirt, and then at nighttime he jumps out, and then the jumping lammies in a village land far, far away, and then all of a sudden my son will go, no, no, daddy, my story, stop, and then he'll say, no, Captain Jeebs, that's a bad man, that's a bad man, and he'll tell me how I'm changing the story and taking away the wrong characters and putting the wrong ones in the right spot, and he'll get really angry and really, really tense. Some of you saw this really, really messed up movie this last week. Really, really messed up movie called Eclipse. All right? And you know, who's been a part of this Twilight saga? Do we have a few fans in here? And a lot of you ladies are sitting here right now, and you're like, this, that's not messed up. Tony, this movie, this is, this is everything. This story, Bella's real, don't you see? And some of you in here are on Team Jacob, and some of you are on Team Edward. Do we have any Team Jacob fans? Any Team Edward fans? All right. Wow, you're split too. And so here's this story that came out, and I have a whole bunch of opinions on it because we had to go see it. My wife made me, and I sat there thinking, dude, guys, if you're a werewolf and you're a vampire, there is way other more mopey 17-year-olds you can find who will actually like you. Just, you know, she's kind of the center of the story. And I want you to think about this. When it comes to your story, when it comes to my wife's story, eight years old, she loves it, it's all about her. When it comes to Ethan saying, no, this is my journey, and dad, that's a bad man, you put him in the wrong spot in my story, and a lot of us go, oh, but Eclipse and Twilight, it's real, and we get excited, and we get Team Jacob and Team Edward, but then there comes that point, right, where we go, oh, that's just cute kid stuff, I mean, we know it's not real, and I'm going to challenge you right now and say this, because we're going into Matthew 7, it's not just a kid thing. In fact, right now in this room, most of us would say, no, I kind of got my story going on and it's got my name written all through it. My plans, my life, my journey, my little mini kingdom. And you're holding on to your purse right now. And if I were to take that purse away or take that wallet away or take your future away or even put the wrong characters in your path, most of us would go, dude, I would be mad too. If you change my name in that book or you put the wrong character in that book, this is my story, my plan. It's all about me. And we would say, you know, Tony, you can mess with a lot of things, but whatever you do, don't mess with this journey. And as much as we think this is a beautiful little child thing, it's not something that we ever outgrow. I want to show you. Look at Matthew 7, what Jesus says as he continues the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't judge so that you won't be judged. Now, a lot of us have heard this before. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Let's just read that one more time. Don't judge, Jesus says. He's kind of halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, I want you to kind of hold on to that. We're coming back to Matthew 7. Jump over to Romans chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to see what Paul says about the same subject. Just so you see that it's captured. It's a New Testament principle. It's a biblical principle. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1, just a couple pages to the right, Paul says, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment, For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the very same things. And look at verse 2. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you really suppose that when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Now, I hope you see where we're going here. This is one of those passages where you're like, dude, July 4th, I came in. (laughs) Thought it'd be one of those fun days. It's not. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, one of the great orational passages where Paul begins to set up the way the heaven's going to look when it relates to this passage. 1 Corinthians 3, 12. It says, now if any man builds on this foundation, meaning the foundation of life and the foundation of decision-making, with gold and silver and precious stones, with wood and hay and straw, each man's work will become evident for the day is coming where all will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Now let's just kind of grab a principle here that Jesus is saying. He looks at everyone, Sermon on the Mount, they're all gathered around and Jesus stops and he says, guys, I'm about to continue the sermon. I'm gonna finish it and bring it to its resolution here. And he says, but before we go any further, I want you to see this principle. And this principle is that there is a God in heaven who is the originator, the orchestrator, the magistrate, the sovereign one. And Paul even reiterates this, and not only is he going to look at everything we do, not only is he going to judge everything we do and make the right decisions, even when we make the wrong ones, but also the very works we do are going to be stood before the heavens themselves, and they're going to be put and cast as if before a furnace. And every single choice we make and every single judgment, that God is going to look down and say, no, that was pure, or that was impure, or that was brutal. And here's where I want to go with this. Have we come to the point where we realize when it comes to judgment of other people, when it comes to our story, where we realize this, it's not our story. It's his. That there is a God story that's happening beyond us. And when we get so wrapped up in this little bubble, in this little circle of life, it's like Jesus saying, guys, before I can even go any further here, you gotta understand one thing, and that's the fact that there is a God, and he is looking at it all, and you gotta trust him and believe in him and think bigger things and know that he's the one who's designing everything. You gotta come to him first. So let me just ask you today, and this is personal for me. I had to spend a week and a half or two weeks with this, and it wasn't fun at all. Do you accept the fact that this isn't your story? Have you come to that realization? And I don't mean like Tony, no. I mean like, have you come to that realization where you walk in this room and you go, this was never about me to begin with. It'll never be about me to end with. I was thinking about how many times in my life, and you, you, maybe you've had these too, where it's almost like you get fired up about where you're going, your plans, your life, your story. And then God kind of comes in and takes this big 1,045 size sandal. You ever had that? And, he, and for him, it's like, hey, guys, angels, come here and watch this. I love this guy, but let me show you how you begin to love me again. And he kind of gives you those little taps, and you go rolling a little bit. And I've had those moments where I feel like it's like God's looking down at me, and he's saying, I- I'm, I'm really the best thing you got going here, Tony. I mean, I'm really the only thing you got going here, Tony. So, and then I get broken and contrite, and I come back to him in humility, and he and I connect again when I realize that all the artificiality and the pretense and all that doesn't matter anymore. It's just about me and him and his story, and that's all that really I matter. And then I come back to him. Now, how about this? Have you ever thought about the reality that you can be having the right portfolio today, you can have the right money, the right car, you can have the right wife, the right husband, the right kids, but you can still be sitting in this room today and be the wrong person? If somehow you think, and I think that this is mine, I can be wrong. I can be dead wrong. Francis Chan and Crazy Love told this really funny thing about movies, and I love it. But I was kind of thinking today, we have this guy here at Contenza Church. He's a buddy of mine named Josh Alba, and his sister's famous. She's in movies. You know her. And, And he comes, and he's in movies. And I thought, how funny would it be? I asked his permission if I could share this story. If he walked in, just, I mean, one day, he comes in here, and he runs up on stage as Chuck's preaching, and he stops, and he goes... Guys, listen, I'm going to be the star in a movie. And we all go, Josh, that's awesome. Cool. 
And so he rocks up. He goes, okay, so here's going to be the premiere. We're going to do it here because we're all church family and we're going to show it and we're going to have red carpet and everything and it's all going to be outside the front. And then we set it up so that Friday night comes and there come the movie stars, the A-listers, and everyone walks in and Josh sits right down here in the front row and then the movie begins. It's a big drum roll. 20th Century Fox. That was dumb. I know that was dumb. Whatever. And so the movie starts and it stops. And then all of a sudden, the first 15 minutes, we're going, okay, man, maybe we see you know, Jessica, we see a sister, and we're thinking, okay, here comes Josh or whatever. And then 30 minutes in, and then an hour in, an hour and 45 minutes of the movie, we're sitting there and we're like, all right, um, what's going on? And finally, in the last 20 minutes, we see the back of this little head with black hair for five seconds as the camera pans by. Obviously, a subplot, obviously, a subcharacter, obviously, not the movie star. And Josh in the front row stands up and goes, yeah, jumps up like hero apparently from heroes and he runs out the middle aisle and he goes guys that was me i'm in this movie i'm a star and then he takes off to the door turns around all of a sudden goes i'll be signing autographs outside and we're all like dude that guy man he like got something like going on he's so crazy that guy's gone bro he's like loco you know Now, now as, as dumb as it is, just go here for a second. Why do we do the same thing? Why do we do the same thing, you know? Like, if you calculate out human history through a 24-hour period divided by a 70-year lifespan, it means that we exist through the 100 billion people who have been on this planet for two-fifths of a second. It's just a glimpse on this ball of dirt that rotates through the Milky Way galaxy under light speed, two-fifths of a second. And somehow what we do is forget the fact that in the Garden of Eden, it was God who stepped in and said, this is how I want to make it and I want to form the void. God, it was God who stepped in, didn't need our opinion. It was God that stepped in in the Red Sea and began to hail down like thunder, plagues upon an Egyptian land. And it was God who stepped in. He didn't need you or me when he helped with prophets and nations and judges. And it was God who stepped in and closed the mouth of lions. And it was God who stepped in and allowed a little shepherd boy to kill Goliath. And it was God who stepped in 2,000 years ago and allowed the Son of God to come and be born in it scene. It wasn't you or me. And it was God that stepped in all 2,000 years ago and allowed that son to be through, through, through thorn crowns and nails, murdered and broken and beaten and then risen up through the heavens. And it was God who will then descend on the Mount of Olives. He will split the skies and judge the plains of Megiddo, every man who stood against him. And it is God who even today sits up in heaven and he's surrounded by 24 elders who sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is to come. See, from the beginning all the way to the end, it was about God. God. It was never about you and me. And yet somehow in our little two-fifths of a second, 100 billion people life, we get so caught up and say, no, this is my story. It's all about me. It's mine. And today I want to ask you again, we accept the reality that this just isn't ours. We accept the reality that this isn't ours. And it's not about you or me. See, look what Jesus says. He stops right here in Matthew 7 and says, guys, there is a judge and he's gonna look down and he's gonna take care of all this. And look why he says it in Matthew 7, verse three. He says, why do you look, and we've all heard this before, at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, there's a log in your own eye. Now, we've all heard this before. This is a beautiful poetic phrase, a prose. And he says, guys, there's a dust molecule in someone's eye and it's floating around in their retina and you walk around and we all have this tendency because we believe it's our story. 
to kind of pick at it and kind of go, oh, I see that, I see that, it's in there. And then he says, but meanwhile, inside your eye, there's this rafter, this timber, this telephone pole that's just protruding everywhere you go. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a visual person. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I get a little weird by this. I'm like, this is an all for, remember I said a week and a half, I've been stuck with this. I constantly am realizing what a critic I am. And so for the next few minutes, I'm just gonna walk around like this because I want you to think what I've been thinking. Every time I see someone and I go, well, I don't know if I would do it that way. <laughs> if you ever picture this piece of wood coming out like, you know, eight feet in front of you, it's really hard to pick on people because you feel like a weird elephant. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. And then here's what I've realized as I began doing this. And this is just what I've been realizing. I realized that what's happening and what Jesus is saying is that I have a tendency to depress you so that I can elevate me. And you know why? Because I go, man, God, I want to look good in your eyes. And God, I want to look good to my friends. And I want to look spiritual. And he's talking here to people, I believe, who wanted to follow and wanted to be disciples. And he's saying, when you get around church people, what's going to be a tendency is for all of us to start going like this all the time because I want to feel a little better about the decisions I'm making. And here's where I'm going to go. If you still think for a second, and I think for a second that this story's mine, Here's where the problem lies. That develops an envy that creates this piercing gaze. It stirs a piercing gaze at every person around us. Have you ever had it where it's like, you know, oh, I see, oh, bing, 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 bing. I feel better about myself. Bing, 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 oh. And, you, and here's what I do. I go, okay, Tony, maybe I don't really struggle with that. I'm going to tell you, I didn't think I really struggled with it until I began noticing it. You ever hear a, a kid cry? And instead of walking over and going, hey, can I help to the parents? You think, man, I, I, don't, I don't parent like that. In fact, if I'm a grandparent, I didn't used to parent. Man, in fact, back in the old days, I would have just whipped his little rehine. <laughs> Y'all do that? Some of you are like, yeah, I do that all the time. What about this? You ever see someone drive something and go, well, they must be doing something wrong. Ain't no way they got that car because I'm smarter than them. I got a better job than them. How do they afford that? And I don't because they use Dave Ramsey. <laughs> what about this one? You think about, just keep going down the road with me for a second. Have you ever been a woman and you're insecure or dealing with an issue and, and you just keep plugging away at people's immodesty because you're so focused on them trying to make yourself feel better somehow? Now, guys, you're not off the hook either. Why do you work out? Didn't plan on saying that, but just think about it. Now, what about this one? How about this? Do you ever wake up in the morning and I wake up in the morning and you go, man, I have a real problem with my parents and you have a great reason because somehow they left you the way you're left and whenever a problem comes up in your life, you blame them. Listen, do you think you're an okay person? Because if you do, they probably did an okay job. Now let's keep it a little further. What about your in-laws? It's a sociological phenomenon to make fun of our in-laws, right? My mother-in-law is here today. I just saw her, so I ain't saying nothing because she's perfect. I didn't know you were going to be here, but I want you to think about this for a second with me. It's a sociological joke. We all laugh. You married it. It couldn't have been that bad. How bad is the person that they created if you chose to walk down an aisle and give your life to them in sickness and health and richer or poor? You ever thought about that? But yet we have this big thing sticking out trying to make ourselves feel better because we can't deal with our wife the right way or we're not the right person, and so we put it on them. Now, I'm just going to say this. Satan in Revelation 12 is known as who? The great accuser, remember? And a lot of us are in pain today because you hear his voice haunting you in that haunted palace of your broken mind all the time where he says, no, you're fat, you're ugly, you're not good at this, you're broken. Oh my gosh, this hurts me. And he whispers those daggers into your soul, doesn't he? When we do this, 
we become him. And some of us are going to leave today and you're going to get in your car. And I know I told you this wasn't a fun July 4th message. We're going to get in our car and you're going to turn it on. And you're going to look over your wife and go, hey, I was church today. How did, you, how did they do it for you? And the conversation is going to begin and the hearts are going to be exposed, right? And what are we going to talk about? And, and this is me, okay? Remember I said this thing? I, by nature, am an organization critic as it relates to process and systems. And I pick on things and I want things to be a certain way. My diplomatic imagery of the way the church should be and organizations should be, that's how I'm hardwired. But some of us are like that. And we're going to get in the car today and we're going to go, man, I don't know, honey. I don't know if the worship was really for me. It just didn't really do it for me, you know? I mean, I like Natalia and all this, but I really had this issue. And then Alex is like, I mean, come on, he's a drummer and everything. But I mean, can you show us some passion or something? And then, you know, it's like, and really, Donovan, you used to raise your hand a little bit during worship. And then it's just a little too loud. And Scott, you guys, I mean, we know you're not human. You have to be perfect all the time. And so we just begin thinking these processes. And then that teacher guy, for real, Chuck, can you please get back from Vegas? And you begin picking and critiquing. Now let's just say this. Did it do it for you? What about if instead, in 2010, Crossroads came into the building and said, no, it's not our story. And I'm not going to walk around like this anymore with that piercing gaze of envy and jealousy. In fact, I'm going to come here for the right reasons. And instead of asking, did it please me and do it for me, I'm going to ask, God, did my worship today do it for you? And like a big mirror, instead of reflecting back what I see and what I feel, I reflect back his glory. And in heaven, the king of the universe says, oh my gosh, out of all the timeless things that I saw today in infinity, I saw the fact that Crossroads was so passionate and so glorified. They wanted to be with me and they cared for me, my redemption and my praise, my passion and my revival. And God says, I was pleased with my people. And it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not your story. It's not my story. It's his. Do you get that today? Will we do that today? Is it our story? No. And once we separate from the story, we can't do these little ping, 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 jealous, piercing gazes anymore. And Jesus says, just stop it. And then right here is where most of us would go, okay, I know Christ. And I know on the Sermon on the Mount that he's going to right here, as I feel this conviction for my story, give me this beautiful answer of grace, right? And we think, here it comes. Here it comes. I'm ready for it. Look at seven, verse five. Two words. You hypocrite. I mean, when I'm studying this, I thought for sure right here would be the point that Jesus would say, but it's okay, I will restore all things. Or one of his beautiful, he says, he says, no, I'm not letting up on this thing. And I begin to ask myself why. And it's like, because he knows it will destroy the fabric, not only of who we are, but guess what? Of who we are. If we let this attitude of judgment, and a lot of you know how much pain you've been caused in your life by having people say things about you that weren't true, you also know the pain you've caused when you've done the same. Look what he says in 7 verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. Then he says, first, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of anyone else's. And he says, first take the log, that rafter beam, that huge sense of junk in there, that pride, that thing that swelled up. And a lot of you are sitting here right now and you go, Tony, please don't talk about this anymore because I know I do it. I'm saying, I know I do it too, okay? I do it too. This has been a rough two weeks. But notice that word clearly. He says, when you are able to come to the point of letting go and confessing that thing, 
you'll see clearly, used only three times in the New Testament, and what it means is no more fog, no more brokenness. You know right through to any answer at any time. Here's what you'll, which is what you'll see clearly. The fact that God gave you such compassion, God loved you despite all that brokenness, that you're going to do the same for other people. And when you start feeling that presence and that grace of God, despite that stuff, when you realize how big it is and how nasty it is and the way you carried it on your shoulders when you walked in today, he says, you're going to not ever judge people and throw out those stones at people and run and want to run at people and want to say things about people. Instead, you're going to show them the mercy that you found because God's so loving. And this is for me personal because I realize in all of my brokenness and the stuff I don't deserve, God, you just keep pouring it down on me. And the fact that it's your story, you keep pouring it down on me and I get to be a part of the most grand design in all of human history. And I love you for it, Dad. I love you for it. And then I'm able to realize this. God, I get to be a part of who you are and what you're doing because God will never ever use anyone who's confused about whose story it really is. He just won't. Chuck Boer is an example of a man, ultimate humanitarian, ultimately loyal. I've never, ever once seen him confused about the fact this was God's story, not his own. Bill Haydorn, who just got hired on staff, is a great hero of mine. And I'll tell you why. Because 10 years ago, he had a father who had never cared for him and loved him the way he should. But when his father was living up in the desert and going through the last throes of this life, Bill, instead of choosing to stay down in a comfy job doing mega church ministry, said, you know what? No, I got to go care for my dad. He didn't care for me, but I'm going to care for him. And on his last days, he saw his dad give his life to Jesus Christ. And he's going to be in heaven with him because he cared more about himself than, than judging his daddy. When I was 11, I met another lady named Alma. And I, Alma was the cutest lady, but I gotta be just square with you a little bit. My mom had said, hey, we're gonna pick up this woman. And uh, on the way to church, we're gonna go ahead and just and pick her up every week. And it's our job to get her into the church building. She's 88 years old. Now as a child, you know, 11, I, I know this sounds really immature and unspiritual. It freaked me out. Because I walked up to that room, that, 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 little, um, that little apartment building the first day, as mom said, go get Alma, and I knocked on the door. I stood there, and then out walked this lady, I'm 11, who's shorter than me. Now, at 11 years old, I'd never seen wrinkles like that. I had never seen, you know, the little hair and the little striped dress and the cane. I'd never seen that. And so I'm sitting there and I'm trying to be polite and I'm like, okay. And then I reach over and I'm supposed to take her hand and she grabs it and her arm's wiggling. And we're walking down the steps, the three stairs to the van. And we have one of those old, you know, Chevy conversion van 20s. You ever seen one of those with the big bench sheet in back? For some reason, I'll never know why, we decided that we were going to take Alma, 88 years old, osteoporosis, bent over, and we stuck her in the back on the bench seat. So every time that you go over a railroad track, have you ever seen this before? There's little Alma back there. She's like, dum, 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 hitting her head on the ceiling. <laughs> After a while, a sister, my sisters finally just looked back and we started laughing and snickering. And then the weird thing was, she told us, my mom told us later when she wasn't in the car, she said, Alma has never been married. She's single. Whoa to live through that life phase and that time in our country's history. But then to be 11 years old where everyone in the church just gets married, it's what you do by the age of eight. I was like, this is weird. And so I'm sitting there and she's bouncing. And then week after week went by, by the fourth week, finally, we started asking questions. We're like, so Amma, was it hard, you know, when you, all your friends kind of, you know, got, 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 
got in relationships and left, and then mom, mom would ask, and then she would answer the question, and then we were kind of waiting to see if we could ask this one question, and it was just tense in the van. And then one day we asked, so was it hard, Alma, when you don't really have people to take you to church anymore or have friends? Every single time, she never judged. She never responded bad. In fact, she would look and she'd say, oh, no, it's okay. I love them. I'm happy for them. And she'd just keep turning it out, keep loving, caring for other people. It was never about herself. Finally, Finally, on the fourth week, my mom had the guts. There might have been a bet under the table. I don't know. I'm sitting in the side, and I'm kind of looking over, and I see her eyes through the rearview mirror catch Alma's, and she adjusts the mirror, and then her eyes go, So, Alma, is it hard not being married for, you know, 80 years? And that's what we thought. It was just like, <laughs> you know. All us kids are looking at each other. They go, we asked her, oh. And I look out the window, I'm trying not to smile, I'm trying to catch your eyes. And I finally peer over, back over my shoulder just a little bit, and I'm looking, and I'm stopped, and I'm kind of peering. And then I remember the little firm chin. The little firm chin that perked up, the little smirk on the side of her face. She's bouncing up and down. And she looked with those eyes, beautiful eyes, right in my mom in the rearview mirror, and she caught them, and then she stopped. And it sits in my mind until today, what she said. I'm 11. Carol, I became a Christian when I was eight years old. I've been, I've been married to Jesus for going on 80 years now. And you know, the thing is like, for the first time in my life, I had seen this presentation of a woman who didn't judge her friends, didn't judge, question God, didn't judge society, didn't question the church. She just said, no, I've had everything I've ever needed. I've had everything I've ever wanted. I know I've got my own stuff, but he's taken it all. And pretty soon I'm going to go see him and I'm going to be in heaven with him and the gates are going to resound and I'm going to look him in the eyes and the light's going to come from behind his head and I'm going to know that forever I'm changed and forever I have hope and I can't wait for that day. And for the first time in my life, I saw a woman who wasn't confused about whose story it was. My question for you today is this. Do you have a rafter, a timber, a thing inside that's keeping you from him? A thing that's making it about you instead of him? Let's pray. Father, with every head bowed, I simply want to pray, Holy Spirit, that if there are people, and I know there are, God, right now, who just have been broken in this life and they have this this tension inside and they got this thing that's piled up inside <clears throat> that they'll follow what your word says and right now just say God first I want to take this thing and I want to give it to you so I can see clearly again 
I want the fog of hurt to be removed. I want the distractions of pain to be removed. I want the stuff that just holds on to me, the distractions and the sense of jealousy and envy to be taken away. I don't want to run the show anymore. I want to do it all for you and because of you, because I believe you died on the cross and you came as my loving God to give me a new life and new breath as my redeemer and as my justifier. God, I pray over every person in this room right now that this will be their moment to just start that walk with you. To leave the past, to leave the darkness, to leave the pride, to leave the envy. And say, I want to be a part of the God story. With every head bowed, I simply want to ask this question again. Is today your day to get rid of that thing that's inside your heart? July 4th, Independence Day, Freedom Day, and it just goes away and you become God's. More importantly, he becomes yours because that's what he wants so badly today. Because what I'm about to do is I'm gonna go ahead and just pray a prayer right here at the foot of the stage. And it's a prayer of declaration, it's a prayer of commitment, but more than that, it's a prayer of healing where your life becomes God's. And I'm gonna just pray it with all that I am, but I'm gonna say this, in this room right now, if you know this is your moment and if God's calling you and you wanna come into a life with him and you wanna let go of those things, I'm gonna ask that in a second, you have courage and you stand up wherever you are, you make your way to an aisle, you come right down here to the foot of the stage and you let me pray this prayer with you and you pray it with me and we watch God begin to work through you and take you into eternity. I know it's a scary walk sometimes, but I want to tell you it's the most beautiful one because you're publicly saying, Jesus, I'm done with this life. I'm now going to live yours. I'm done with my story. I want to live yours. So right now, I'm going to go ahead and pray that prayer. And if God's calling you, if you know this is your moment to just fall into his loving arms, to start over or to start new, I'm going to ask that you stand up wherever you are and just start coming. And I want to praise God for those that do. Praise God. I know it's a bold walk and a scary walk. Praise God. You make sure to cheer people on as they come. Praise God for you. I'm so proud of you. It's okay. It's okay. It's a time where God catches a hold of all of us. You step out for him and he'll carry you the rest of the way. Let's get right here. Praise God, man. Proud of you, brother. You guys, keep cheering them on. This is an amazing moment. If you're sitting there and it feels like your feet are in concrete, you take the first step and let God walk with you the rest of the way. This is your moment with him, a loving creator. Praise God. It's okay, we'll wait. We're not gonna stop this time. This is a beautiful time. Praise God, guys. 
If there's stuff in your life that just hurts you and haunts you and you feel broken from, step out so this can be your moment to fall into the hands of a loving God for healing and restoration. Praise God, guys. So proud of you. Praise God, guys. That's amazing. Wow, that's awesome. So proud of you. It's okay. We're going to pray with you. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you. Praise God. It's amazing courage to step out in front of people and say, I'm living for him. My story's his story. We're going to keep waiting, guys. Praise God. If anyone's God's calling anyone, please come right now. Just a couple more seconds. I don't want to rush this time. If there's someone sitting here and you're alone and you're hurting and broken, this is your chance to be a part of God's family. Just a couple more seconds. Praise God, brother. Praise God, man. Christ, man. All right, for those of you that came, and if you're sitting here tonight or today, this morning, and you still feel that God's moving your heart, feel free to pray this with you and with us. But I want to say this to you. I am so incredibly proud of you. It takes a lot of courage to step out like this. But I want to tell you just a few things. One, this prayer that we're about to pray together is just the beginning. This isn't the end. This is a faith journey that begins with a loving God. And all the things that are moving in your heart right now will continue for a lifetime. And he promises you'll never be alone again. Number two, know that you have thousands of friends and family that are fighting behind you. You are never alone on this earth. We're going to get your back always. And then number three, I want you to realize this. Guys, for you, when you step out and become a part of God's kingdom, you will have assault, you will have attack, you will have people that say things about you, but as of right now, you are a soldier of the Most High. And ladies, ladies, if you have stuff in your life that feels sometimes like it burdens you, and I don't know your story, I want you to know that God does, and as of right now, you are clean, you are white as snow, and you are a princess of the King, no matter where you've been, and you're His today. I mean that. So what I want you to do, if you're ready, is just pray this prayer out. Pray it with boldness and pray it with courage and just fall into the arms of a loving God. Say, Jesus Christ, Son of God, I've made mistakes in my life and I've had pain. But I believe that you died for me and that you rose again. That you're in heaven today and now you're taking my hand. I say yes to you. I'm yours. I ask you, make me the person you've always wanted me to be. And give me the life that you've called me to live. I pray this in your name. Amen. Praise God, guys.